Amen. You may be seated. And we are going to finish up our series, Seven Churches, today. Is anybody ready? And we are going to talk about the church of Laodicea. And in Revelation 3.14, it says this, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And that's Jesus. Anybody glad that you know that Jesus is the first and the last? He's the faithful, the true witness. And then he says this to the church of Laodicea. He says, I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I could wish you were hot or cold. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And we see here that to the church of Laodicea, God gives no commendation. God does not uh, give them one compliment about their church. And despite that fact, they're still a church. Despite that fact, God still loves them. And, and as we study all of these churches, that's what we have to realize, is that despite all the problems, God still loves them. I always tell people, if you're ever discouraged about your church, just read 1 Corinthians. And you'll get encouraged real fast, because they had a lot of problems, but God still loved them. How many is glad that God still loves us, God still loves our churches, despite the problems we have? But, but uh, last week, we talked about the Church of Philadelphia, and the Lord doesn't give them one criticism. This week, we talk about the Church of Laodicea, and God does not give them one compliment. And we, we see that there are two churches, uh, Smyrna and Laodicea are two churches that God does not give them one criticism, or uh, I'm sorry, God does not give them one compliment, and they were very wealthy churches. They were churches that had a lot going for them on the outside. And Laodicea was known for three things. They were a banking center. They were a financial center. People from all over the region, all over the world would come because of the uh, amount of gold that they had in that city. And uh, it was destroyed by an earthquake in 61 AD. And uh, they said, you know what? We don't want any help from Rome to rebuild our city. We'll do it ourselves. Now, uh, to give an example of how that is impactful is, you know, you think of a city in the United States, say New Orleans has a bad hurricane or uh, San Francisco has a bad earthquake or whatever, and the president will immediately fly there and let them know what? You've got the federal government behind you. We're going to help you rebuild. Well, imagine San Francisco having an earthquake that completely destroys it and them saying, you know what? We don't need your help. We'll rebuild it ourselves. That's how rich Laodicea was. Second, it was a medical center known for its eye ointment. Uh, there was a, a miraculous breakthrough at this time in uh, treatment of, of uh, eyes and, and seeing and vision. Third, it was a clothing center because of the abundance of black wool that it locally produced. It was known for money, clothes, and medical care. Does it sound familiar at all? Maybe a little bit like America. 
money, clothes, security, and medical care. But for all of its abundance, for everything that it had going for it, there was one thing Laodicea did not have, and that was water. Most cities, most successful cities are, are built right next to a, a large water source, but Laodicea was cut off from water. And so here's what they had to do. They had to go to Colossae. If you, that sounds familiar, the book of Colossians, that's Colossae. And they would pipe in water from Colossae. And Colossae was about nine miles away and it had a abundant supply of fresh, cold drinking water. And then there was another city named Hierapolis, about six miles away, and it had hot springs that would bring warm water. And so when they built this aqueduct, when they built this, this pipeline into Laodicea, when the cold water met the hot water, what you had was what? Lukewarm water. Now, I just wanna stop here and say that if you've heard a message about Laodicea, the odds are pretty high you've heard it preached wrong. <laughs> And I am the only preacher in human history that's gotten it right, so I'm so glad you're here today. I remember as a kid, you know, camp meetings or, you know, evangelists would come in and preach, and the Lord tells them, he says, I know you works that you're neither hot or cold, and I wish that you were either cold or hot. And where we automatically go in our mind is that what hot water is people on fire for God, amen. They're witnessing, don't say amen, because that's not right. Um, Hot water are people on fire for God. They're witnessing, they're, they're doing all the stuff, right? They love God, they're at church, they're paying their tithe, that's hot water. And then there's cold water, which is completely backslidden. They're not living for God. They're smoking, drinking, hanging out with girls that do, and all that stuff. Well, I just wanna tell you, that's not what it means. You see, cause hot water has a purpose. How many likes a good hot bath, shower, whatever? How many likes a good hot latte with half and half instead of whole milk, Daniel Suey special from Panera? <laughs> I pull it and they're like, oh, we know you. You're the hot latte with half and half instead of whole milk. I said, that's right, I am a hot latte. But my point is hot water has a purpose. But here's the thing, cold water has a purpose too. When it's hot outside, you know, nothing beats a cold drink of water and there's all kinds of purposes for cold water. But lukewarm water has no purpose. And what Jesus is saying to this church and what I would always hear preached as a kid was, God either wants you red hot or you just need to leave the church and completely backslide and go cold. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, I want you to have a purpose, and lukewarm water has no purpose. And what made them lukewarm was their arrogance. They were disconnected from God. And so what we have to realize today is this, is that this made God sick. Have you ever like tried to reach, uh, you know, you reach for a drink and you expect it to be maybe Sprite, and it's like something completely different. What's it make you wanna do? Spit it out of your mouth. It makes you sick. Well, that is what God 
experiences with lukewarm churches. People who are not living according to the purpose that they were created for. And I'm not talking perfectionism. That's not what this text is about. It's about being connected to God, being in relationship with God. And a lukewarm church is a useless church. And I believe that of all the churches we talked about, this church can be most closely identified to the church in America. When I use that term, I'm speaking very broadly of, of lumping us all together. And that is because we are the wealthiest society on the history of the planet. And we are the most miserable. If there's any church that's in danger of being lukewarm, it's the American church with all of our blessings, with all that God has blessed us with. And if there's anything that can be the enemy to success, it's past success. If there's anything that can be uh, a hindrance to future blessings, it's current blessings. And that was the problem of the Laodicean church. You see, a lukewarm church is not only useless to God, it's also useless to the world. The church needs to be useful to this world. We need to be either hot or cold, depending on the situation. You see, sometimes we need to be cold. Sometimes we need to be hot. Sometimes whatever situation we need to be in, we say, Lord, make me what I need to be in this moment so I can make a difference in this world. Is anybody with me here today? Does anybody wanna be useful? And here's why they were lukewarm in verse 17. He says, because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you do not know, he says, that you are wretched, you're miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, I just wanna stop right here before you check out and say, well, that's a good verse for all the rich people. You know, my, my wife and I, were, we were sitting in a friend's house and this person's very wealthy. I have a, I believe about a 10,000 square foot home. And we were talking about some other person who is a, a billionaire and we were talking about how they did a hostile takeover of this company and, and this person, we're sitting in his living room and, and it's just unbelievable house, just you know, expensive cars, every, you know, everything. And we were talking about this other person. He said, yeah, you know, that's what rich people do. And we got in the car and I said, if he's not rich, what are we? <laughs> the point is this, is everybody in this room, probably you don't think you're rich, but I, I wanna just let you know, you're rich. People in the poverty line in the United States are 80%, are richer than 80% of the rest of the world. You are wealthy. The poorest among us in here probably has a smartphone. The poorest among us in here, maybe you don't have wealth yourself, but they're safety nets. And I thank God for that, I really do. I thank God we live in a country like that. But if we're not careful, we, let that get to our head and we can become self-sufficient like the church of Laodicea and we think, God, I don't need you anymore. So they thought they were wealthy. They thought they didn't need anything. 
They thought they had it together. But the Lord says, you're wretched, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. In other words, the picture is this. He, he, said, he says, you think you have it together, but if you could see what I could see, you would see a homeless person. Now, I just don't wonder. When we get to heaven, and we're all gathered around the throne, who will have the front row seats? I don't think it's gonna be big time American preachers with millions of Instagram followers wearing thousands of dollars worth of clothes at any given time. I think it's gonna be people like the Church of Philadelphia who were faithful, who were dependent and connected to God and did not trust in who they were. And the sin of the church of Laodicea is arrogance. And I think that the sin of the church in America is arrogance. What we expect God to do, what we expect God to do for us, just because of who we are, just because of, of what we've done, what we think we've earned. And I wanna tell us here today that we have got to remember that Jesus is our source. That Jesus is the only thing that connects us. And so today, that what we need to realize is this, is that we may think one thing and God may have a totally different opinion. We may see someone that's successful we maybe see someone who we think is rich, who is really wretched, poor, blind, and naked. And Revelation 3.18 says this, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich. In other words, he says, I want you to get out of that system of Laodicea. I want you to get out of that system that, that is uh, bound to the world systems that says that worldly wealth is what matters, that worldly wealth is everything. And he says, I want you to buy from me gold. I want you to buy from me gold that's been refined in the fire. You see, pure wealth is godliness. Pure wealth is being like Jesus. Pure wealth is walking in sanctification. Pure wealth is humility. Pure wealth is being like Jesus. Does anybody want gold refined in the fire? You see, the church becomes useless when we walk according to the world systems. And we've gotta get out of that system. And that is this, you need more. You've gotta have more. You've gotta constantly consume more. You have to constantly buy more. You have to constantly prove that you have the right house, prove that you have the right car. We have got to get out of that and we have got to go to the deeper source of true wealth and that is Jesus Christ. So number one, a useless church is self-sufficient. The church of Laodicea said, thanks Lord, we got this. We don't need you any longer. We don't need your presence any longer. We don't need your word any longer. We don't need your rebuke any longer. How many wants God to have free reign in this house? 
How many wants God to have free reign in your life? And what we see is this, is that financial wealth doesn't translate to spiritual wealth. The churches in Smyrna and Philadelphia were economically poor but spiritually rich. And and what we want to be is a church that's connected to the vine, connected to God. And what we have to realize is that the New Testament is full of warnings about money. You know what causes people to be lukewarm? Money, stuff, success. And there's nothing wrong with being successful. There's nothing wrong with making a good living, but we cannot make idols out of that. We cannot make an idol out of the American dream. I am not living for the American dream. I'm living for the heavenly dream. I'm living for a kingdom dream. Amen. You know what success is? Success is that your kids are saved. Success is that your kids are in church on Sunday. Success is this, that they know mom and dad have character, that mom and dad know how to pray, that mom and dad know how to get a hold of God. First Timothy 6, 6, as we read this, he's not talking to Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg, he's talking to you. He says, but godliness with contentment is how you get rich. Great gain. You wanna get ahead, be content in any season of your life. You didn't get the job, be content. You're making more money than you did last year, be content with your relationship with God. Why, because that's great gain. He says, for we brought nothing to the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. We're all equal on our deathbed. And when we're in, when I'm on that place in life, the only thing that's gonna matter is do George and Elise have eternal wealth? Do they know who Jesus is? Do they have values? Did I give them something beyond the temporary? The boats won't matter, the house won't matter. All the toys and all the stuff doesn't matter. The bottom line is, do they know Jesus? Did I give them a legacy of faith? And he says this, but if we have food and clothing, with this we will be content. And I think the message version should probably add a full tank of gas. (laughs) To be content. Everything pulls us to be non-content. Need more, get more. That is the seduction of American wealth. And then he says this, but for those who desire to be rich, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness. Here's how you get rich. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. That's true wealth. 
He says the love of money leads to all kinds. It's the root of all kinds of evil. And again, he's not just talking to billionaires. He's talking to you and I. The love of money. I've seen so many people that God comes and changes, God changes their life and they come into this place and they experience a real transformation. Their life is broken. They have no money. They have no friends. And they come into this place and God changes their life. They get a job. God starts to bless them. And you just see over time they start to fade away because money can corrupt absolutely. And we forget where God found us. We forget what God did for us. And here's how we get out of that. We give. We stretch ourselves. Giving is a mechanism which God has given me to rid myself of dependence on this world system. And so when we walk out of this place and we put the envelopes and the boxes and we get in line, get, on, get online and do whatever we do, what we're doing is we're saying, God, I'm stepping out of this world system and I'm stepping into your system. God, I'm gonna stretch my faith and I'm gonna give beyond my tithe to give to dream to destiny. And know what you're doing, you're saying, God, I'm stepping out of what the world calls smart. I'm stepping out of what the world calls wise and I'm stepping into your system, Lord, that says there is eternal treasures in heaven. Matthew 13, says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Let me, let me retranslate that to you. If you were walking along maybe a hiking trail and you stumble across this huge treasure that no one knew about, what would you do? Well, he said a man found it and he covered it up. You would hide it. And then you would do whatever you had to do to own that piece of property so that you could get that treasure. I love this, he says that in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. You know what that says, God, I'm giving you all my dreams, I'm giving you all my resources, I'm giving you everything, every dollar I earn is yours. Now that doesn't mean you give every dollar to God's house. What that means is I'm accountable for every dollar that he's given me. And here's what I wanna tell you. If you're here today, you found that treasure. The treasure is Jesus. The wealth that you've been looking for is Jesus. You know that, that never in the Bible, never in the New Testament did Jesus say to someone, you know what, you need is more money. But that's how I think. I don't know about you, but that's the way I think. Like, if I just had more money, Lord, if, if I could take care of so many problems if I have more money. And you know what that is? That's worldly thinking. That's Laodicean thinking. We don't need more money. We need more faith. Yes. We don't need more money. We need more love. We don't need more money. We need more godliness to use the money we already have. And so the Laodicean mindset was this, is we are self-sufficient, we don't need God. And here's what we gotta realize, time is short and we gotta maximize our opportunity 
to do what's eternal. Time is short, that's why we have to do dream to destiny. Time is short, that's why we have to build buildings to bring in the harvest of God so that we can baptize and see people filled with the Spirit and know who Jesus is. That is why we have to have urgency. Number two, a useless church is worldly. A useless church is worldly. He says, buy from me white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. You see that they were, took pride in that they were the best dressed people on the planet. They took pride in the fact that they were on the edge of current fashion and they had the best name brands and all of the things that people on Instagram make a big deal about. But he says, spiritually, you're naked. Spiritually, it's like you're, you're covered in fig leaves, like Adam and Eve. And, and what we have to realize is this, is that materialism is a substitute for our hunger for God. This represents their desire to fit in with the world. Their desire to look like the world and act like the world. And the reality was this, is that they were spiritually dressed up in rags. Matthew 27 says this, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. I don't know about you, but I like to have white teeth. I, I pay the extra $4 for the extra whitening toothpaste. Come on, somebody. Right. Have sores in my mouth for days, but it's worth it. <laughs> and I was thinking about this as I was preparing this. We, we, we're our generation with white teeth and nasty hearts. What difference is it gonna make in eternity if I had white teeth and a nasty heart? What difference is it gonna make if, if I impressed you with this suit coat and my shoes match and my, my, my game, uh, my dress game is, is on point? It, it, it's not going to matter. None of that stuff is if your kids match and your kids have the right name brands. And, uh, they, they, when they go to school, everybody compliments and you know, they pull the, the, their jackets back to see what brand it is and it's the right brand. None of that matters in eternity. And we, we, we in the church, we have to get out of this worldly thinking. We have to get out of this worldly thinking that, that if we have the right clothes, that God is pre pleased with us. If we have the right clothes and, and the world is impressed with us, that, that somehow makes us important. That does not make us important. It's what the name brand inside of my heart is and that name is Jesus that makes the difference and I, I, I like nice clothes it's okay to have nice clothes but we can't be consumed by it it's okay to, to have name brand certain things but when it becomes a value when it becomes our identity, it's become idolatry. You know, and, and we in the church go to some of these conferences and 
We're supposed to be all about modesty and somebody can have thousands of dollars worth of clothes on at a time. Or you follow some of these celebrity pastors who have thousands of dollars of clothes at a time. Now, I'm just saying, I don't know if that's a good witness to the world. You see, I think the world is looking for somebody who is content in who they are. And when you come in through this door, we don't care if your clothes are name brand or whether they came from Walmart or Target or where you bought your clothes, at, uh, your shoes at Shoe Carnival. We're just glad you're here. And what's more important is that you're clothed with Jesus that you have a connection with him. God, deliver us from materialism. God, deliver us from worldly thinking. You see, worldliness is not just going the wrong places, hanging out with the wrong people. Worldliness is this, putting values in the world system. Young person, I wanna tell you, you don't have the name brands. You walk into that high school with confidence. Right. No, you have the anointing of God in your life. Right. I, I, I can think of so many of my friends in Bible college that they had the right suits, they had the right name brands, had the matching this and that. And, and, and I look at them now on Facebook, a lot of them aren't even ministry. And I, I think of people that walked in dirt poor, people that had no support, no name behind them, but they had a real relationship with God. Their tennis shoes weren't name brand. Their clothes weren't name brand. They dressed kind of dorky. And I, I check up on them now, and those are the people who are still connected, still in ministry, still changing the world. And I wanna tell somebody today, don't get caught up in worldly thinking. I don't care what it looks like, you just get here. You stay connected to Jesus. Matthew 5, 14 says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, your light shine, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father is in heaven. You know what that looks like? That looks like I'm not resting today on the world system. I am standing here securely in who I am in Jesus. I am standing securely not in the government system. I'm not depending on the U.S. government for my happiness. I'm not depending upon who will be the next president for my happiness. I'm not depending on what gas prices will be next week for my happiness. I am secure in Jesus. I am wealthy in Jesus. I am content in Jesus. I am happy and joyful in Jesus. You see, what, what, what's the world doing right now? They're saying, fix these gas prices. Fix this war. Fix this and that. You know, fix this inflation. And, and I am so proud of our church. In the past two years, we have not lived by the world's rules. The world's rules say that when the economy shuts down for a pandemic, giving goes down and attendance goes down. But what's happened? Giving is up. We've launched a building campaign in the middle of a pandemic. And God's people responded because we said, we're not going to go by worldly thinking. We're not going to depend on the government. We're not going to depend on man's systems. We're going to step out in faith and know who we are in Jesus. Come on, somebody stand to your feet if you want to live that kind of life. Yeah, we're not a, we're not a lukewarm church around here. 
word of God says, be instant in season and out of season. You know what that means? When God needs hot water, be hot. When God needs cold water, be cold. But for heaven's sake, don't be lukewarm. Be whatever God needs you to be in the moment. If God needs you to stand up in the middle of a pandemic and make a pledge to dream to destiny, follow God's voice. Amen. I'm not afraid. Come on, is anybody here not afraid? Why, because my security was never rooted in that system anyway. And we're gonna have an election here in a couple years and both sides are gonna try to make you afraid. And, and the world system is this, you need us to be happy. And you know what I think the Lord is doing right now? He's trying to stir Laodicea up. He's trying to stir America up. And he says, you know what? I'm gonna let you sit in some uncomfortable situations for a little bit to see if you remember who your source was. To see if you remember what the, the values of this nation was founded on, and that is in God we trust. Not in politicians, not in banking centers, not in economic systems, come on, not in celebrities, in God we trust. Somebody step to your feet today. Say, in God I trust. I don't trust in the world system. In God I trust. My kids have to wear tennis shoes from Walmart. In God we trust. And I believe God can, can change things, and I hope he does change things. But my personal opinion is I think we need to buckle our seatbelt. Because God's trying to stir us up. And what the world doesn't know is that if a revival ever breaks out in this nation, you watch out. If revival ever, if God ever stirs up Laodicea and they get their act together, you watch out. You know why? Because how many missionaries can be supported if Laodicea wakes up? How much good can, can Laodicea, Laodicea has so much potential if they get out of worldly thinking. And that's why we, we, gotta, we gotta wake up, we got a world to change, we got a kingdom to expand, we gotta get out of the world's way of thinking, and I gotta stop thinking about what thing I can order online from Nordstrom, and I gotta think, what can I do to spread the kingdom of God? And if I have to cut back a little bit to, to help Ukrainian people, that's the way we gotta think right now. Laodicea, you weren't blessed to be arrogant. Church of America, we weren't blessed to be arrogant. We were blessed to bless the world. Number three, a useless church is spiritually blind. Spiritually blind. He says, anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. He said that, that ointment you have that's done medical miracles, it may help your physical eyes but your spiritual eyes are blind. You can't see it. You ever tried to help somebody and they can't see it? You ever like tried to, to, to help, like give them hints, like, man, everybody sees this, but they can't see it. And you can't help somebody who can't see what's wrong. God has to open their eyes. 
That's what he's telling the church of Laodicea. You can't see your lukewarmness. You think because your giving is a certain amount and you think because your standard of living is a certain amount that God is happy and that he is somehow uh, happy with you. And here's the thing is that we have to get out of this trap that is so prevalent in the American church that Jesus came to make us happy. Jesus didn't come to give you seven keys to happiness. Jesus came to make us holy. And that's how we get happy. But they were spiritually blind to the materialism. They were spiritually blind to the worldliness. Jesus spoke about this in Mark chapter four. He says, speaking of the people he was preaching to, he says, they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving. perceiving. Ever hearing, but never understanding. Every week they hear fabulous sermons, but they never get it. Every week God does incredible things around them, but they never see it. He says, otherwise that they might turn and be forgiven. And the prayer that we need to pray right now is God open our eyes. God, open our eyes to what you could do through us if we weren't lukewarm. God, open our eyes to what you could do through us if we put your kingdom first. God, open our eyes, God, to the hypocrisy that's in me, God, the worldliness that's in me. God, open my eyes to what is real, what my real spiritual condition is. Not what I think. Because here, here's the thing, we can play the part well, can't we? Come on. I was thinking today, just putting this on, like it just feels churchy, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. But it can be self-deceiving. Right. What we need to do is put on Jesus. How do I put on Jesus? Prayer. How do I put on Jesus? Sanctification. How do I put on Jesus? Patience, kindness, the fruits of the spirit. That's how we put on spiritual clothes. And so I just wonder today, if God walked through churches in America, would he be as impressed as we are? Would he be as impressed with our lights, our buildings, our seats, as we are, or would he see people that are poor, blind, naked, homeless? You see, God loves us enough to rebuke us. And sometimes for all of our mechanisms, does anybody around here miss simple? You ever miss simple? Like, I don't wanna have to press 10 buttons to get the microwave to come on. I just, I wanna press one button. I don't wanna have to read the owner's manual for every single thing I have. I want simple. I really think the revival we're gonna see in this nation is gonna come through simple. And that is this good old fashioned get in the presence of God. 
You know what that looks like? The sound may not be perfect. The worship team may not always be on point. The lights may be a little off, but none of that matters when you're in God's presence. God, take us back to simple. Am I the only one that thinks we've made it really complicated? Am I the only one that thinks we've added layers and layers and it's really more about impressing us than God? And I'm all for a classy presentation of the gospel. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, you know what we need is more good old-fashioned prayer meetings. What we need is more connection. Revelation 3.19, familiar text. says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, we usually use that scripture in the context of evangelizing non-believers. You know, the original context there is for a backslidden church. What Jesus is saying to the church of Laodicea is, I'm knocking at your door. Can I please come in? Can I please come into your service? Can I please come into your family in between all of your uh, activities at trying to get more money to buy more clothes, to do more stuff? Can I please come into your home? Can I please come into your schedule? And can we sit down and can we go back to where we were when we first met? And it was just very simple. I don't know about you, but the more spiritual and longer I live and the more I do spiritual stuff, the more complicated I make it. And before the, I'm just being vulnerable. Last week I was vulnerable and I promise I won't cry this week. But before the kids came, I would spend lots of time in here in prayer and things have changed. I, I can't do that much anymore. That, and, and there's always something going on in this building, thank God. That's a good thing. And I really struggled to find another place where, where I could meet with God. And one day I felt like God was saying, you're making this really complicated. You don't have to be in the church sanctuary to feel me. Get in your car, park in a parking lot, turn on some music, and let's just sit down like old times. And I don't know about you, but I wanna go back to the place where it was simple and easy to just connect with God. Why don't we stand to our feet right now?
I mean, can we lift up our hands right now? Come on, this is what he wants. Come on, this is what he wants. If we, could, we could wait on the music just a minute. This is what God wants. Amen. Let's lift up our hands right now. Come on, let's spend time with him. Today, God's knocking on our door, asking if he can come in. Today, God's knocking on someone's door, saying, I want to get back to the place we were. And here's the good news. We can start over today. Can we do that right now? Why don't we just lift up our hands and say, Lord, I, 
take me back to the place I was where I first believed God. Thank you, Jesus. Jonathan, if you wanna go ahead and start playing, let's gonna open up these altars right now. Come on, how many's glad today that Jesus came in the house? How many's glad today that you have true wealth? Come on, does anybody feel this right now? Why don't we do this? Let's ask God to forgive us. Putting other things first. God, forgive us of our materialism. God, forgive us for putting trust in this world system. Whether it's medicine, whether it's government, the economic system. Because here's the thing, if, if your trust is in that system, you need to be afraid. But if you're connected to the source, there's no fear in love. He's in this place today. Let's lift up our hands as we sing this. Come on, let's everybody in our connect with him right now. So we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise. It's you.